if it's true that the all-powerful God of the universe wants to talk with us, what in the world is keeping us from talking back? Well, good morning, or good evening if you're watching it from a place where it's evening to you. I want to welcome everybody uh, who's here and those of you who are joining us right now in one of the other rooms here in Long Point or maybe at an off-site campus, uh, especially Somerville, you guys are starting your third service on Sunday morning this week. Let's give them a hand and welcome the Somerville uh, campus. And uh, those of you on the internet, we're glad that you guys uh, are along also. What a great day. Be before we start what we're going to talk about, I wanted to kind of update you. A lot of you have been praying for my family and uh, my daughter, um, pregnant, uh, premature baby, and uh, she's been in the hospital for about four weeks. And this week, little Breck Russell made his arrival, and I wanted to show you a picture of him. Uh, he is, yeah, this, this is documented. This is the best looking uh, baby born at MUSC this year, this year. And uh, he looks like his grandpa. Um, he's just a little guy, but he's got a great big heart. They're helping him breathe a little bit there. Uh, I, I want to report that uh, he's breathing on his own. And uh, he was in the, um, yeah, he was in the, the intensive care, the, the, the most significant NICU, whatever, I don't know. I was up there lost one day trying to find it. And one of the nurses from the church says, Pastor Greg, you look lost. Follow me. I'm lost most of the time. But anyway. They moved him to like a, a middle intensive care or something. So he's doing great. And uh, thanks for your prayers. We really do. Jenny, my daughter, she's doing great. and Everything's good. For those who, of you who are scoring at home, that's grandchild number 10 with 11 and 12 still in the oven. All right, so, so here we go. Now, before we get into the message, we're in a series. But before we do that, I want to do something else. Um, on your chair here and in the campuses... Uh, and also on the screen in the internet, there's a card. Why don't you pull that out? It's called an evaluation card. Um, they told me just a few minutes ago that at the Long Point campus, um, only about 80% of you are going to get a card. Uh, we had tiny heart syndrome. Uh, our church is growing. We've grown by about 20% just in the last few weeks, and they didn't make enough cards. Uh, here's what I want to do with the cards. Um, how many of you do annual reviews at wh wherever you work? You have a review and you, you know, those are a lot of fun, aren't they? And uh, so we do that with our employees who work here and every, all the supervisors uh, do reviews with their employees and it really is a good time to see where you, where you are, where you need to grow. And it tells us more about the supervisors than it does the employees, to be honest with you. And so it came time to do mine and I'm at the top of the food chain. And I said, don't worry about it, guys, you know, the, the big, I do mine with the big guy. And I'll be, you know, I'll stand before the Lord someday and give an account for what I do here. And they said, that's wonderful, that's good, but we want you to have a review. And we want the people to review you. You always talk about, you know, I, I love being your pastor. Let's find out how good you're doing, really. And so what we're going to do is you're going to give me a review today. And I want you to be honest as you can be. The way you give a review is tell us how you're doing. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of see how that, we're going to do this about three times during the year, and we'll see how we're doing with shepherding and 
what, what areas where maybe we need to do better or maybe we, we need to let off the gas just a little bit. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody get a card. Everybody that has one, get one. Put it in your, in your hand. Everybody put it in your hand. Can you do this right there? All right, there we go. Uh, this is everybody. Everybody is Greek for all y'all, okay? And uh, get, a, get a pen or a pencil, and if you don't have one, it'd be a great time to meet your neighbor, okay? And just grab one. And then I, I want to go through, and I want you to be totally honest with this, totally honest. Okay, question number one. I attend weekend services at Seacoast. If this is your first time, check first time. Occasionally, once a month, two to three times a month, weekly. You can only check one box. Some of you have a hard time making decisions. We're going to do that right now. Let's be honest, okay? All right, number two, I regularly read the Bible and or pray, never, just be honest if that's the case, occasionally, one to three times a week or daily, okay? Number three, I serve at Seacoast in one of the ministries, uh, never, occasionally, once a month, two times a month, Three to four times a month, okay? Just check the box that applies to you, okay? I serve in the community. This means that you volunteer somewhere outside of this church in the community. Uh, never, occasionally, once a month, or two to three times a month, okay? Number five, I meet with a small group of people for community. How, what, what is small? Two to three, four, five? Some of you are extroverts, 36, you know, but... I just meet with a small group of people for community, never, occasionally, once a month, two to three times a month. Can I, can I just say something about that real quick? We're doing a series. You saw kind of the uh, information bumper in the, in the video um, called Make Room in about three weeks. It's good. I'm so excited about it. We had so much fun. We've never had this much fun in, in kind of providing resources around a series. Um, and what we want to do is we would like everybody in our church, say everybody together. And that's Greek for all y'all, okay? We want all y'all, everybody, to experience our new series, Make Room in Community, okay? We want to experience it in community. We're not asking for the rest of your life. We're saying six weeks. We'd like everybody to experience Make Room in Community. And in order for that to happen... We need to have a whole bunch of people, and I'm, I'm asking for a 1,000 of you, who will say, you know what, I'll gather two or three of my friends. I'll make room for my friends, two or three of my friends, and we'll experience this together. Uh, what will happen is we've already made a, a DVD, and it is so much fun. It really is. And uh, you, you just play 10 minutes of a DVD. We've got a booklet. We're going to show you that in a couple of weeks. Really cool. Ask a couple, three questions, and have coffee together. And the only thing you have to provide is the coffee. Uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you can't afford it, I'll, I'll help you with coffee. You know, wh whatever we got to do. But we need a 1,000 of you to say, um, I'll, I'll get two or three friends. I'll, I'll, you know, invite two or three friends, either at home or at work or in a coffee shop or on the Internet, Facebook, however you want to do it. But I'll, I'll just convene two or three friends, and, and we'll experience Make Room in Community. So we'd love everybody to be a part. We, do, we need a 1,000 of you to step up and say, I'll do that, okay? All right, so, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. Number six, I give back to God with my money, never, occasionally, regularly, but in small amounts, or regularly, 
but in generous amounts. And the, the smaller generous is, that's kind of your, your gauge, okay? Number seven, in the previous six months that I have invited a friend to Seacoast, or I, in the previous six months I have invited a friend to Seacoast, never, occasionally, regularly, monthly, or more, okay? So just fill that out. And if you didn't get one of these, it's probably because it was sovereign. It's the sovereign will of God. We didn't want you to take our averages down, okay? So that's, that's what that deal was. But we want you to be honest. Just tell the truth. Just be real honest. And I'll tell you what to do with this a little bit later in the service, okay? All right. So let's get into what we want to talk about today. We are in a series that um, we're calling Breakthrough. In fact, this is the final week of it. And we challenged you in the first week that there was one thing that you could do this year, at the beginning of this year, that would impact positively the rest of the year in a greater way than anything else. And that one thing is prayer. And we've been kind of talking about prayer and breaking down a scripture that Jesus uh, taught on prayer uh, each week. And this is the final week, and I want to talk to you about uh, praying uh, for others. How do you pray for friends or family member or others? Now, before I do, let me ask you a question. Do you ever get tired of waiting on God for answers to your prayers? Do you? Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Anybody here? You know, you were in a hurry for an answer, and it seems like, where's God, and why is this taking so long? I have those same questions. In fact, uh, this year for my personal Bible study, for uh, January, every morning I'm reading uh, in Genesis. Anybody else reading in Genesis in January? There are several of you, probably are. And there's common themes that go through, and one of the common themes is people waiting on God for breakthroughs. One of the earliest ones was Adam. You know, you know the story of the creation of the, uh, of the earth. God created, you know, he'd, he'd create like uh, the night and day, and he'd say, this is good, and he'd create water and separate from the land, say, this is good, create animals, this is good, create grass and birds and all that, this is good. Everything was good until he got to Adam, and he created Adam. Come on, ladies, it's, yeah, I know where you're going. I know where you're going with that. That's not how we roll at Seacoast, okay? We're equal opportunity. We won't make fun of people because of their sex. Well, sometimes we do, but, but this is not the time. So anyway, so what, what wasn't right was God said it's not good for man to be alone, and he needs, he needs help. He needs help. And so then he says, here's what I want you to do, Adam, is I want you to name all the animals. So get the order here. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam, I want you to name the animals. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This has always been funny to me. The order of this, it's not good. You need a helper. Name the animals. What do you think about the rhinoceros? And, uh, and, and Adam's going, you know, it's good looking, but the horn in the middle of the forehead, that's a little off-putting, to be honest with you. And you know the rest of the story. Uh, that he put Adam to sleep, and he created Eve, the perfect companion for Adam out of his own flesh. Uh, but here was my question as I read that this, in this January is, is uh, is how long did it take to name those animals? Who noticed that it wasn't good? I mean, God knows all things, but was that a a trigger off of something Adam was feeling that 
something's not right here, something's not good. And how long did he have to wait? Was it days, months, years before Eve came? He needed a breakthrough and he's waiting on God. Another one was Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham? Uh, Abraham is this old guy, 75 years old. Doesn't seem so old the closer I get to, you know, 45. But he goes, (laughs) you never know what you'll say under the anointing. Okay? All right, understand that. So you got this old guy, Abraham, 75 years old. God comes to him and he says, I tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you a father. And he starts laughing. He goes home and he tells Sarah, and Sarah really starts laughing. That's his wife. You know, we're way beyond childbearing years, you know, all that kind of stuff. And God says, not only am I going to give you a son, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He says, you're going you're gonna to look out and you're going to see the stars of the sky and you're going to see your kids. You're going to look at the ground and you're going to see sand and there's going to be more kids. Than sand. You're, you're going to be like the Surratts, he said. You're just going to have kids everywhere, all right, kids everywhere. And he's 75 years old and he has to wait how long? 25 years. Until he's 100, and then it's absolutely impossible. He has to wait on a breakthrough. And then I'm reading uh, the story of his grandson, Jacob. And Jacob wanted to get married. And he really wants to get married really, really bad. And he sees this girl, and when he sees her, he starts crying. He just knows that's the one, even though it's his cousin. It was southern Israel, so it was okay. It wasn't a problem. Culturally, it was acceptable. And so his cousin's name is Rachel. So he goes home. He goes to her father, his uncle Laban. And he said, you know, listen, I'm in love. I want to get married. But he doesn't have a job. He's like a lot of guys. You know, he's in love, but he doesn't have a job, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And he can't afford the dowry that they had to pay. So his uncle Laban says, let's do an installment dowry. What you got to do is work for seven years, and then I'll let you marry my daughter. And so he does it. And and he says it went just like this because he was in love. Gets to his wedding ceremony and evidently got a little liquored up or something. And his father-in-law slips the older, ugly sister. And don't be sending me notes. The Bible says she was not easy on the eyes, okay? And, and so he slips her into the whole deal. And uh, Jacob sleeps with the older sister thinking it was Rachel, wakes up in the morning, sees her, then he really starts crying. And he goes to his uncle, he's mad, and his uncle says, my bad, I'll tell you what, if you'll work another seven years, I'll give you both of my daughters and so, and so the story is 14 years for two wives, worst Groupon ever, okay? <laughs> worst Groupon ever. But the one that really got my attention was actually Jacob's father, Isaac. Or am I losing you in this? Abraham's son, Isaac, and then you had Jacob. Isaac is the one that really got, in fact, when I read his story, I'm, I'm sitting there and I like to have fun and all this kind of stuff. I'm sitting there, I'm crying. I'm weeping at his story, and I hope I'll be able to portray to you why today. Because you got, you got Isaac, and um, Isaac is, uh, is the, 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 the son of promise. In other words, God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and through him, you're going to have children just everywhere. Isaac is the son. 
who came to Abraham at 100 years old. Isaac gets married at 40 years old uh, to his wife, uh, Rebecca. And uh, did I call, uh, whatever, uh, that's her name, Rebecca. We'll call her Becky. And he gets married to Rebecca and at 40 years old and for 20 years, no kids. And uh, the infertility deal is painful uh, these days. It was more than painful then. It was socially, people who, women who couldn't have kids were socially ostracized. And it was always their fault and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, husbands could put their wives away and get another wife if they couldn't do that. And so uh, Isaac doesn't do that. He, he's, a, he's a real man. I mean, he stands with her. And in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, it says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. As I read that, I thought, could I do that? Would I intercede for somebody that I loved? I, infertility, other issues, whatever they happen to be. wouldn't have to be a wife, could be just a friend. Would I intercede, could I intercede in faith for 20 years? Plead on behalf, have I ever done, have I pleaded for 20 years? Have I pleaded for two days, for three weeks, for a month? Could I do that? Could you do that? Well, we're in a series called Breakthrough, and it's based on a scripture that Jesus, a promise that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. I want to read that as kind of the baseline for what we've been talking about. I want you to read it out loud. If you're at a campus or on the internet, wherever you happen to be, would you read out loud together with us? Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Here we go. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So it has three, three parts. Ask, seek, and knock. I'll be honest with you, I like the asking part. You like asking? I do. I like asking God for things. I love the promise. Everybody who asks receives. And we talked about that a lot the first week, and what does that mean? I like it. I mean, I've got a prayer list. I try to go through that every day. I like asking. Uh, I even like seeking. Last week we learned a little bit about what that means. Seeking is coffee with God. You know, it's getting to know God. It's get your Bible and, you know, a journal of some kind and sit down and just kind of take time getting to know God. I love that. I love that. But I'm going to be honest with you, knocking is frustrating sometimes. Knock. Knock. Where are you, God? Knock. This is a promise. Where are you? You ever get frustrated with that? I mean, I look at the story of of Isaac and I have questions. I mean, if it was God's will for Isaac to have children, why is Rebecca barren? If, If God intends to bless their family with kids, why does Isaac have to plead? Why does he have to knock? And what would have happened if Isaac wouldn't have stayed with it? Would it have changed the narrative of the story? Well, We'll probably talk about some of that. But the bottom line is, Isaac never gave up hope. He believed God. And the last part of the scripture is this. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer. 
and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. So how do you intercede? How do you knock on behalf of a friend or a family member? How do you see a breakthrough in somebody else's life? Today we're going we're gonna to learn from Isaac how to knock on the doors of heaven on behalf of those that we love. I want to make it simple. I try to always do that. The, the verse, first part of that verse has three phrases, and we'll just look at each one of those phrases and apply them to our lives. So if I'm going to pray for others, the first thing I've got to do is my prayers have got to be passionate. It says, Isaac pleaded to the Lord. Pleaded. Knock. Is that passionate? No. Is that passionate? Not so much. How about that? That's what Isaac's doing. That's what God's calling us to when we knock. Knock is the time when you raise your voice. Knock is the time when you plead and you cry out to God on behalf of somebody else. So what does pleading mean? What does it mean to plead? It's not about whining and complaining to God like a three-year-old wanting something that you think you need or something that you shouldn't have or something that you think somebody else has and you're upset about it. So that's whining. I'm somewhat familiar with this term. We have five three-year-old girls right now, granddaughters, that take whining to an art form. They really do. Papa. I, I just hate that voice. Papa. I don't want to take a nap. Papa, she's playing with my doll and she won't give it back. Papa, I don't want peanut butter and jelly. I want a quesadilla. Can I tell you? Whining just irritates the fool out of me. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus, you know, he's talking about the ask, and he said, even you evil fathers will give good gifts. Remember that? And I pointed out that you guys are evil, uh, and so am I. And it comes out in the whining. Here's how I handle whining. I've got three strategies on it. I've had to develop a strategy. Uh, number one, I ignore it. They whine. And I just keep looking at my iPad or looking at, I just turn the television up. And, and, they, and usually they'll go away, which is the goal, okay? Um, if that doesn't work, I engage them in conversation, but I act like I don't understand what they're saying. And, you know, that just frustrates them. And then I'll say, you know what, if you'll come back and not use a whiny voice, we'll, we'll talk, okay? And uh, if, if that doesn't work, I just resort to whining back. They leave, makes them mad, but it works, you know, and we can be whiners to God, can't we? God, I can't believe the roommate that you gave me this semester. She never cleans up after herself. Oh, it's awful. God, I'm so miserable in this job. I'm the only Christian here. I'm so persecuted. Would you give me another job? God, why does nobody ever appreciate the work that I do? I know I work as unto you, and, and that's what I'm doing, but I'd sure like to hear somebody else tell me that they care, you know, my kids and my husband or wife or my friends or work or what. Nobody, nobody appreciates me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. 
you know. So how does God respond to whiners? I don't know, he probably ignores them. He may act like he doesn't understand. I'm not sure he whines back. But do you get the picture? Pleading is not whining. What is pleading? Pleading is about your heart being so touched by something. You feel as if your heart will break if God doesn't do something about it. Pleading says, in my heart, I am so certain that there's no other option than a God-designed breakthrough. God, we've got to have this. God, I need this for my friend, my family. God, my heart is broken. Isaac pleaded with the Lord. And if you're going to be good at praying for your friends, you've got to get passionate about it. Next thing he does is, is when, you, when, you, when you pray for somebody, it needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Isaac wanted Rebekah to be whole. His wife, or his, his heart, is broken for his wife. You know, he's not praying for himself. He could easily have said, hey, God, I'm Isaac. You remember Abraham? You promised I'm the son of promise, and uh, this is kind of embarrassing for me, and it's kind of painful for me. I don't have kids. He's not even in it. He says, God, my, my wife, my heart is broken. I'm coming to you on behalf of my wife. I can't stand to see her hurt like this anymore. I want my wife to be whole. Would you agree with me that we live in a broken world? And there are people all around us that, needs, that, that need to be made whole? I mean, it, it, do you know somebody who's in great need physically or emotionally or spiritually? It could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody, you know, if, if you're uh, working in a business and it's somebody in your department or somebody that you have responsibility for, do you see more than just their production? Do you see through that to see brokenness? And maybe somebody that you need to plead for? Maybe you're a teacher at school and, and you look at your students and there's two or three of them that just stand out because there's such brokenness in their family and it, you can see that it's coming through in them. Does it drive you to be passionate or compassionate for them and to be, and to be specific about who they are? Or maybe it's this. Maybe, maybe you, your heart is broken over the fact that there are loved ones, there are neighbors, there are friends, there are co-workers who are far from God right now. And they're, they're poking around the rubbish piles of life when God intends so much more for them. Does that move you? Does it break your heart? In fact, a recent delay in your life or a recent kind of barrier that we're you need a breakthrough, a friend of yours needs a breakthrough, may very well be there and still there because God wants to do a work in your heart. God wants you to, to be broken over what breaks his, over his kids. So Isaac prays personally for Rebecca that she be made whole. But what's interesting is that he didn't just pray for Rebecca, he prayed with Rebecca. As I was looking at commentaries about this scene, almost every 
commentary, almost every person that commented on it, theologian, agreed that it wasn't just Isaac praying by himself. And it's good to pray by yourself. It's good to be driving in the car or you're in a private place in your house or you're out walking around and you're just crying out for somebody that they're broken and it breaks your heart and you're praying for them. That's a good thing. But, but a, a more powerful thing is happening right here. Most commentators believe that they were in the same proximity, that, that, that he was praying for her when she was right by his side. She was there. They were together. And he's saying, God, this is my wife. My heart is broken for her. I'm pleading on her behalf. I had a recent conversation with a friend. He's been a lifelong friend. Known him since I was about this big. We have a close relationship. We're just honest with one another. You know, there's no pretensions. We knew each other before. You, you understand what I'm saying? And uh, so we were sitting down the other day and we were having coffee. And, and I said, hey, man, how's, how's life? Really? How's life right now? And he said, it's pretty incredible, to be honest with you. I said, really? There's a story behind that. I want to hear it. He said, well, it probably has to do with my marriage more than anything else. And I, I know all about his marriage. I was there in the beginning and been there various times throughout. And he said, you know, my, our, our marriage is, I've gone, we've gone through three marriages with one person. So when I got married for the first few years, it was a terrible marriage. I said, I have a testimony to that. One of you threw something at the other one and it hit me. I, I remember that happening. It was terrible. It was a terrible marriage. And he said it came to a crisis point when we lived in Mount Pleasant. And I remember that night. He called me on the phone. He said, you got to talk to us. I went over. I picked him up in my car. And it's friends, you know. It's not like somebody you don't know or you're just the pastor. You, you grew up with them. They're friends. That's hard. I remember that night on the way over there and then got him in my car and it's just a disaster. And I'm praying, James, one Five that says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. I'm saying, God, desperately. I've learned to pray that prayer over and over. God, I desperately need wisdom right now, and I believe that I've received, so give me some of that. And he did that night. And there was a breakthrough in that car. And he said, for the next 20 years, our marriage went from bad to good. We've had a good marriage. But he said, just a few weeks ago, something else happened. A couple of months by now. And he said, our marriage has gone from good to great. I said, talk to me, talk to me, I'm, I, I want to hear. What happened? He said, we started praying together. I said, oh. So we, we've tried down through the years, and we've made awkward stabs at it, and it's kind of surface and all that. But something happened, and we started to pray. In fact, he said it's deeper than that. He said, I discovered that I had wounded my wife deeply and had continued to do, do that over the years just in an action that I had toward her. And he said, when, it went, when I was able to, to sit down with her and to repent to her and to God and then to intercede on behalf of my wife to God for this hurt area in her life, he said, it's opened up some things. He said, Greg, I can't even tell you how incredible it is. The vulnerability led to a place of trust which resulted in a position of power in prayer. After he told me that, I I thought of the verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 where it deals with husbands and wives and I want to take it to a broader perspective in just a minute. But it says, Husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. 
She may be weaker than you are. And he's talking about physically weaker, that she's just designed physically, that she's, she's uh, her body structure is probably weaker than yours. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I thought about Rebecca in this story, and she's in a broken place. There, there is a brokenness about her. Every month, she realizes this is not the month that I'll become a mother. After a while, she doesn't want to go there anymore. She doesn't want to talk about it. It probably put a barrier up with her and Isaac as, as much as she didn't want that to happen. It was an, an unable place, an I-can't-go-there place for her. You know, in our relationships, whether that's husband and wife, or it's just friends, or it's a coworker or whatever, sometimes... There'll be a shared event, or maybe it's not a shared event, it's just something that you went through at some point that was hard, and you got through it, and you're doing okay, and you're frustrated that they're not. Why can't she move through the miscarriage and she's stuck there? Why can't, why can't he move through that place of hurt? I've moved through it. Why can't you just apply the word to Why can't you just get through? And you, you feel like, you'd never tell them this, but emotionally and intellectually, you feel like you're in the stronger position. If they were just stronger, then they could get through. And I see the scripture being applied to that. See, if you want powerful answers to prayer, you've got to treat your friend or your family or your coworker with honor with understanding. And that's what my friend did, and that's what I see Isaac doing. It's, he's bringing his wife. He goes to the Lord on behalf of his wife, and they, they were there together, and he prayed for her. But there's a more powerful potential thing even going on here, and that's that Isaac and Rebecca may have prayed together in a special place. As I researched this, there is a kind of widespread Jewish tradition that in this moment, Isaac took Rebekah to Mount Moriah. Now, if you know anything about his story, Mount Moriah is the place of sacrifice. Kind of back up a little bit. Abraham's promised a son. Isaac's born at 100 years old. He becomes a teenager. God comes to Abraham again. And he speaks to him and he says, I want you to give me your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. Just as a father, I've read that passage and just wrestled with it. And how could that be? How, how, what, what he must have thought. And so he takes Isaac, he gives the wood to Isaac for a sacrifice in the fire. Isaac's carrying it. They're going up a mountain, Mount Moriah. And Isaac asks his daddy, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, where's the sacrifice? And his dad says, God will provide. Well, they get to the top of the mountain, and his dad grabs him, ties him up, and puts him on a rock to sacrifice him. And he's getting ready to kill him. And an angel of the Lord stops him and says, no, no, you've, seeing that you're willing to give everything, I'm going to trust you with more than you can imagine. And they heard a ram in a thicket, and they took the ram and they sacrificed him. So that's Mount Moriah. So if it's true, and I don't know whether it is or not, but let's, just, let's, let's say just for the sake of just example or reason, let's say that Isaac took Rebekah to the place of sacrifice. 
and, and, and it's, it's really, it's the, it's the place of his deepest pain. Can you imagine a teenager having his dad tie him down and he's going to take his life? I would imagine it took at least 15 to 20 years of therapy for him to work through that. You, you know what I'm saying? I can't believe what my dad did. And this is the place of his deepest pain, but it also became the place of promise or breakthrough. I can just see Isaac grabbing Rebecca by the hand, and they're walking up this mountain. And, and he says to her, Rebecca, Rebecca, this, this, is, this is where my dad brought me. I want you to see this. Look, look over here. I can see it. It doesn't look quite like it did then. It's kind of overgrown, but there's the rock. This is the place where, where dad was going to sacrifice me. And look, look over here. Th that's the bush right there. This is the bush where the ram... When I heard his voice, it was the best voice I'd heard in my life. When I heard this ram bleeding and dad said, there's the sacrifice. Rebecca, this is where the angel stood. I'll never forget that. And when he said to dad, Genesis 22, because you have obeyed me, and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. And just maybe, Isaac says to Rebecca, that's us he's talking about there. That's me and you. We're the descendants. That's our kids and our grandkids. You know, if God was faithful that day, and I saw it, I'm sure he'll be faithful now. Let's pray, okay? And so maybe they kneel down together. <laughs> and Isaac says to God, God, this is my wife, Rebecca. I'm pleading on behalf of her. We need a son. You did it for dad, and you did it for me. I know you can do it for her. Maybe in your life, there's somebody that needs a breakthrough. And you're pleading passionately for them. Maybe it would be good to come together and pray together. And maybe there's a special place that you can take them to. You know, if they're stuck and they need a breakthrough, um, maybe there's a place, and maybe it's not a physical place. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a story of how God came through for you. And you take them there. Maybe they don't have faith for a breakthrough. I don't even think they need to. A couple of years ago, I was reading James chapter 5 and verse 14. It was instructions to a church like ours. And it says, is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It says a prayer offered in faith. And we have prayer teams every service here at Seacoast. And um, they'll anoint you with oil and pray. And sometimes when you've been stuck 
for days, weeks, months, even years, sometimes you lose faith. I talked to a lady in the foyer just a couple of weeks ago, and she said, you know, I had lost faith, and she went through her life. I had lost faith before I came here. You know what? The faith is the faith of the one praying. The faith is the faith. Maybe you have faith. Maybe you don't, but it's the one praying, and Isaac has faith because he's been through it before. And maybe there's a place you need to take someone, a time when you saw God work on your behalf. When knocking on the behalf of others, we need to have passion. It needs to be personal. Let me give you one more. It needs to be specific. Now, specific is kind of funny because... If you're going to alliterate, you do it with all the same letter. And they told me you had to have P's, and I like the word specific, and it has a P in it. It just ha- doesn't have to be the first one, and there's no rule that says it has to be the first one. I can do whatever I want to. So I said, make, make that P big, specific, okay? Say that together, specific, okay? Isaac knew exactly what he wanted God to do. He asked God for a child, okay? Um... Sometimes the problem with our prayers is that they're not specific enough. They're vague. You ever prayed, God be with us? Newsflash, he is. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Save your breath. You don't have to pray that one. God is with us. You ever pray, God just bless us? What's that? I mean, it might be good, but um, if you read the Bible, some blessings are disguised as trouble. I have enough trouble in my life. I'm not going to pray for more. If God wants to give it, that's fine. I'm not asking for it, okay? Be specific. During this fast, um, one of the things I'm doing, I don't know that I'll do it forever, but one of the things I'm doing is journaling my prayers. Usually I just, you know, pray, get to a quiet place, and if I'm intercessing for other people, I get to a place nobody can hear me because I get plead loud, you know? And, uh, but I've decided I'm going to write, write them down, and and so I've been writing my prayers out, and at first, <laughs> I've noticed how generic so many of them was. I wouldn't know whether God answered them or not. I don't know specifically what I was praying for, you know. And so I'm learning to be more and more specific. What about you? What about you? Is there, is there somebody in your life that you love that they need a, a breakthrough? Maybe they need a physical breakthrough or an emotional breakthrough. Maybe it's spiritual. Or maybe it's financial. I want to challenge you to be passionate, to be personal, to be very, very specific. In fact, I challenge you as a church, all of us together, to do what my friend Mark Batterson wrote a book about, make circle prayers. (laughs) Draw a circle around a, a piece of ground and say, God, I'm not leaving here. I don't care if it's weeks, months, or years. I want this so desperately for my friend, for my family, that I'm going to pray. You say, well, what if, what if God doesn't answer that prayer? You know, I mean, you know, um, my grandmother was a godly woman, very godly woman. She was married to a man who was not. He was a cheater. Cheated on her over and over and over again. Finally left her, went, went out to get, told her he was going to get milk or bread one day. They were on a military base in Tucson, Arizona. And he never came back. And it left her with my mother and uh, her cousin, my mother's cousin, who my grandmother was raising. 
and she raised them to be godly women. Her oldest daughter was not a godly woman. And my grandmother prayed for her every day of her life. And my grandmother died, and my aunt had not come to the Lord. At my grandmother's funeral, my aunt came to know Jesus. Changed her life completely. Did God answer that prayer? Yes. Was that the will of God? Without a doubt. Did it happen in her lifetime? Who cares? God is not limited by time or space. All he said, see, we're not on the date, dates and time committee. <laughs> we're on the knock committee. Knock, 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 knock. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. At the bottom of your outline sheet, there are, there are a couple of blanks that are still empty. There's a couple of blanks on the front, too, that I didn't get to, and some of you won't sleep. Two ladies came to me in the foyer. What are the blanks? I won't sleep tonight. Okay, on the other side, they are clarifying faith. Okay, clarifying faith. I just didn't have time to talk about them. Get it back over on this side. Who cares what they are? Turn it over. Turn it over. Here's where we are right now. These are important. This is an intercessory prayer that I'd like you to pray. I'm praying it right now. I will plead to the Lord on behalf of blank. Who's God leading you to pray for? Because blank, that's the specificity of it. Specific. Specific. Isaac never gave up hope that his Lord could make the impossible possible. And after 20 years, God gave him a son. Actually, that's not true. God gave him twins. Because God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this wonderful group of people who are here because they want to honor you. God, I, we are honored with your presence. And we, I just ask that you would bring clarity to the next step for each one of us. We ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.